0: This is an update because Boris Johnson has said that masks and social distancing will not be underpinned by law. And although there will be some guidance as to when you can uh, wear a mask, it's not going to be legal. So it's going to be really interesting how that affects people's uh, behaviour. Here is the sausage
1: himself. Without preempting the decision on the 12th of July, let me set out today our five-point plan for living with COVID in the hope that it will give families and businesses time to prepare. First, we will reinforce our vaccine wall, reducing the dose interval for under 40s from 12, uh, for under 40s from 12 weeks to 8, so that everyone over 18 should be double-jabbed by the middle of September, in addition to our autumn programme of booster vaccines for the most vulnerable. Second we will change the basic tools that we have used to control human behaviour, we'll move away from legal restrictions and allow people to make their own informed decisions about how to manage the virus. From step four, we will remove all legal limits on the numbers meeting indoors and outdoors. We will allow all businesses to reopen, including nightclubs. We will lift the limit on named visitors to care homes and on numbers of people attending concerts, theatre and sports events. We will end the one metre plus rule on social distancing and the legal obligation to wear a face covering, although guidance will suggest where you might choose to do so, especially when cases are rising and where you come into contact with people you don't normally meet in enclosed spaces, such as obviously crowded public transport. It will no longer be necessary for government to instruct people to work from home so employers will be able to start planning a safe return to the workplace. There will be no COVID certificate required as a condition of entry to any venue or event although businesses and events can certainly make use of certification and the NHS app gives you a COVID pass as one way to show your COVID status. Third, we will continue from step four to manage the virus with a test, trace and isolate system that is proportionate to the pandemic. You will have to self-isolate if you test positive or are told to do so by NHS Test and Trace. But we're looking to move to a different regime for fully vaccinated contacts of those testing positive and also for children.
0: There's something quite cold and callous about hearing that. And the worst bit of the press conference was when Chris Whitty said, well, there really is no good time uh, apart from the summer to do these restrictions because, you know, the autumn and the winter, well, that's going to give the virus the upper hand. And that means that we're just delaying the deaths. We're not stopping anybody from dying. We're just delaying when that's going to happen. And there's something slightly bizarre, knowing that you're in the category of people that he's talking about (laughs) that you think, oh, well, you know, at least um, I'm not going to be dying in uh, November or December. Uh, I'll be dying in August or September. That's nice, isn't it? It's got a bit of a ring to it. And I love the way that, what's his name, said, Oh, but you must remember that we did tell you this in the uh, earlier on in January, we did tell you, you must remember, we did tell you that we were gonna tell you to die. We've already fucking said this already. I mean, the callousness, the coldness, it's incredible. And, you know, I mean, what is going to happen? I wonder whether people are going to err on the side of caution. I think that in buses and on trains, People are going to err on the side of caution, you already get, you know, these fucking idiots that refuse to wear masks and go into shops. And I wonder whether that's going to continue um, to kind of spread, if you like. And of course it will, like obviously, you know, more people are going to be taking their masks off and more people aren't even going to be thinking about social distancing. But really, people aren't thinking about social distancing, and they haven't done for months and months and months and months. And you have to be quite kind of performative and, you know, theatrical in your movements and your gestures to communicate that you're interested in social distancing as you walk down the street in order to kind of, you know, like get people to fucking step out your way a little bit. You know what I mean? um so social distancing stopped a long time ago in any kind of practicable way practicable but i also think at work and in people's workplaces people are still going to be you know kind of have a bit of like common sense and respect common sense like sounds like fucking nigel farage all of a sudden um but the masks thing is is really kind of you know not good and the idea That, you know, because the headlines have been like, oh yeah, 250,000 kids have been off, you know, loads of kids have been off self-isolating, they're just wasting their time self-isolating at home when they could be in, you know, fucking buildings filled with COVID, for Christ's sake. So unbelievably, Sausage Johnson is changing that. Like, this is more um, grist to the mill that there's a herd immunity campaign out to focus um on children getting the fucking thing Yep. Yeah? so it's really cold really callous once again we have to think for ourselves and just take all of the protections me personally like it's it's around it's where i work it's kind of everywhere you know so personally i'm just kind of looking to walk between the raindrops in the next couple of weeks got three weeks to go and you know, I've got to keep my fucking, keep on my toes, you know. I think I can do it, Um, but it's not nice at all. It's not nice and it's not easy when this is the fucking messaging coming from the sausage. So now back to the pre-recorded show. Hi, my name is Pete, this is Social Distancer, uh, welcome to episode 230, and we've got a bit of a Covid special here because it's all breaking down and breaking out in Covid land, also known as the UK, and we're going to look at uh, Paranormal Blips, a bit of a round-up, looking at a very busy week, and I've got a couple of links in the episode description to two excellent bits of... Um, well, one's an interview with an investigative journalist, an Australian who's this lovely frank bloke, mate. His name's all Frank, mate. His name's Ross, mate. And he's um, that fantastic frankness that I love about Australians. Like, you know, <laughs> it's a, just kind of when he thinks something is bullshit, he'll say it's, that's bullshit, mate. Uh, <laughs> and um, it's an incredibly charming way of behaving, isn't it? Yeah, that. Um, so that's good, Ross Coulter, interviewed by this very impressive bloke, who's British bloke. Um, I think his name's Jay. He has this thing called Project Unity, and I've got a link in that, and I talk about that in Paranormal Blink. Also, this um, 2 hour 10, without the adverts, live um, uh, show that was on the uh, Discovery Channel a couple of days ago, which is really good. I've got somebody's put that on YouTube, snipped all the adverts out, which is a bloody blessing, and um, put that on YouTube as well. So, I've got a link to that as well. So, that's Paranormal Blip after the outro music. But first of all, we've got a bit of a COVID special. We're going to look at herd immunity, um, the idea of herd immunity uh, going around children in the UK, and that being government policy. Um, Certainly a kind of big hint. That, that is the policy, which is kind of terrifying. Also, we're going to look at the cases in some detail as well. Uh, but before that, England are um, kind of incredibly doing quite well at the old football and the Euros. Uh, they beat the Ukraine, uh, when was it, last night, wasn't it? Yeah, um, by 4-0. 4-0. And look, here's one of the goals. Listen to this. This is like, the this guy is actually paid to say this nonsense he just sounds like um what's his name he's like the the first of two times i'm going to refer to um alan what's his name <laughs> that guy alan not alan davis not alan barker alan not alan Titchmarsh, alan partridge that's it alan partridge right listen to this this sounds like a real partridge way of saying somebody scored a goal
2: Sterling Shaw Kane Ukraine blown away England on their way Ripping their way to the semi-finals of the European Championship
3: Have you ever seen the sunshine? No, not pork Sunshine I didn't say pork I know you've seen Park.
2: Is that sunshine.
0: So the new Secretary of State for Health, Sajid Javid, has an article in the mail on Sunday and the headline generated is Orwellian unbelievable headline. It says, Sajid opening up Will make us healthier. Yeah, that's right. Opening up <laughs> during a pandemic uh, where 150,000 plus people have died in the UK. Yeah, that's going to make us healthier, isn't it? Yeah. So he's clearly on the sausage train, this guy. And, um, you know, for all of our um, taking the piss out of Mancock, it does seem that, as, as the researcher suggests, it does seem that he was one of the few people in the room that was saying, no, 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 we've got to take this seriously. Well, now Sausage has got old Sajid in his pocket, and um, who the hell knows what's going to happen. So it looks like the Byline Times have been um, looking at the the sage um, minutes for the last couple of months, and they have highlighted a really interesting um, uh, kind of factor Of the kind of decisions about where we are so now the government denies this but the uh, evidence suggests and certainly the byline times are kind of like framing it that um, the UK government has got a policy to do herd immunity for the children of the UK Um, so as an example Quoting uh, one of the SAGE documents, uh, they say only around 79% of the population are adults, which means population level protection is, low, is lower at 53%. In addition, protection against infection is likely to be lower than that against disease. As a result, herd immunity is not reached without a large resurgence of transmission that came out in February. Um, and that was in bold so although the government are saying oh no it's categorically untrue that we've got a herd immunity policy in place everything that you know about this um, kind of ramping up of the of the virus makes you think well surely they are they are this the new kind of um, you know the, the Freedom Day um, opening up of all of the restrictions which are going to go like reportedly going to go further than was expected even a couple of weeks ago when Hancock was still in his job um, you know that is going to happen um, it's quite soon though isn't it it's July the 19th isn't it yeah in uh, basically two weeks tomorrow and they are apparently they're going to say you don't need to wear masks anymore You don't need to social distance anymore. And we are looking at projections suggest that you're going to get at least 80,000 cases per day on the seven day average on the basis that it's doubling every nine days or so. Okay, so if you look at the projections and this independent save, uh, independent sage, Christina Pagel, who we'll be listening to in a moment, um, she's like, you know, calculated it all out. Uh, maybe up to 100,000 cases per day when the 19th of July in two weeks' time comes around. Now, we don't know what that means for... So, th- there's, there's a couple of things that are really confusing me. I spoke about it last week. Why did they take the masks off the children in secondary schools? Clearly, putting masks on the children in secondary schools keeps the infection um at bay at the schools it might not totally keep it out but it will certainly cut off the infection more than if they don't have masks on their faces like obviously that's the whole point of the masks isn't it yeah um well if they're interested in building up herd immunity and they think well you know as a kind of general cohort children are least susceptible to covid19 than anyone else And quite lucky for us, they gather for hours in you know groups of thirty, roughly thirty in a class, uh, for hours and hours. They're perfect. That's brilliant. And you know don't really do anything in terms of uh, reminding the schools that they need to have their windows open. Um, I mean, I'm very lucky in where I work; is they're totally on top of it. But even there, you know, because like it's been a long year and you can understand like there are kind of like genuine human reasons why people get a little bit sloppy you know and it's certainly true that the the teenagers are going to get sloppy of course they are because they're teenagers but even the adults sometimes get a little bit sloppy um but in order to kind of you know keep it out of the schools um having a mask on your face is far more effective than for instance um putting uh, Anti back on your hands, yep, yeah? uh, because it's about it's an airborne disease, right? You catch this bloody thing if some bastard breathes on you, the chance of catching it by you know touching a surface and then wiping your face or picking your nose or licking your hand like, of course, that's the chance of that happening is like tiny compared to somebody breathing on you that's quite close to you that is um, that that's got the thing, so you know. There may be something in... I mean, I personally think... I mean, it would surprise you uh, not at all that I personally think, of course, they're herd immunitying it because there's like, it's so obvious that they're herd immunitying it. What is the other reason? What, what possible reason can there be to take masks off the faces of children during a pandemic when none of them have been vaccinated? Yep. I mean, apart from, you know, there may be like tiny cases of children being vaccinated for specific medical reasons but the vast majority of children in mainstream schools you know millions of children haven't been vaccinated 29% uh, sorry uh, 21% of the population haven't been vaccinated at all okay so it's a big big issue it's incredible that they have got away with taking the masks off the children's faces so I happen to think that there is something in this um, herd immunity. And if you go to Byline Times, you can read all about it. Now, here is um, Christina Pagel once again laying it out. And, you know, she's been a, a mainstay on the podcast for, you know, well over a year now. And um, you can see why, because she doesn't pull bunches punches and she's absolutely outstanding. I mean, a true hero of the, of the kind of COVID era. And here she is talking about the kind of ridiculousness of the government's position.
3: Delta went from zero to more than 90 percent of cases in the UK in 10 weeks and it's put us in a worse situation by far. It's more infectious, it's more severe and it's more vaccine resistant. And as Covid is now going through our children, any new mutation that can affect their vaccinated parents and then those parents peer group will gain a selection advantage, right? It's just a really stupid thing to do to think we can have millions of infections and everything's fine. The government is allowing cases to spiral in the full knowledge that we have safe and highly effective vaccines after two doses. We have the vaccines. It's not inevitable that everybody gets COVID. We know that we have a way out. And the government is not only not strengthening the basic public health measures that we know work, good contact tracing, support for isolation, ventilation, is planning on removing measures, right? On the 19th of July, no more social distancing, no masks, they're trying to reduce the need to isolate. They're also supporting mass events and the opening of venues, such as nightclubs, without any kind of testing. We have an excellent vaccination programme. We haven't finished it yet. We're not that far from finishing it off, a couple of months maybe, but we haven't finished it yet. So that vaccination programme, plus better public Health measures, means that we don't need to reach population immunity through infection. We don't need to let millions more people get infected and then live with the consequences of that down the line. But that seems to be the government's plan, and it's a terrible plan.
0: It is absolutely a terrible plan. I couldn't put it better myself, Professor Christina Pagel. And, you know, let's just think about this. We've got about 12% of um, children below the age of 12 who get uh, COVID-19 who go on to get long COVID and about 15% of children between the ages of 12 and 18 who get COVID-19 who go on to get long COVID. So these are people that say that they've got at least one symptom after six weeks. And it is, you know, for a lot of people it is um, a, a life-changing. You know, we're talking about palpitations, we're talking about respiratory disease that they just cannot shake off. We're talking about fatigue we're talking about headaches, we're talking about life-changing, uh, long-term symptoms. So it may be that deaths are low for children, uh, but having said that, apparently uh, at least 300 children have died in the United States. So deaths do happen, okay? And of course, you know, like it's like uh, Christina Pagel says, if you've got lots and lots of the of virus hap- uh, going around, there's no question that we're going to get a, a variant that slips through the, um, the vaccine. And essentially, like the whole idea of viruses is that they mutate in order to become better and more efficient. And there's an interesting article that the researcher sent me, which is about what are the kind of long term prospects of COVID-19? Is it... That although the transmission may be better the virulence like how bad it affects your body might be might get weaker okay might get like easier to survive and easier to live with well it happens to be that there are some viruses out there that that is the case okay that that although you may uh, they may become more transmissible when you get it it won't affect you as bad but we don't know whether COVID-19 is one of them. There's other uh, illnesses and viruses out there that, if you get it, even like for you know years and years and years and years, they, they hardly exist. But then you get it, and then you're you know fucked basically. Yep. So we don't know. It's not just the case like automatically that you know we can live with this. And, you know, it's like the flu or whatever. It's, it's never going to be like the flu. I, my feeling is that COVID-19 is never going to be like the flu in that there's a vaccine you can take, which means that you're more or less kind of OK based on your kind of, you know, health profile. Now, that might be the case for some people. It might be the case for, for most people. But it's not the case for me, you know. I take this incredibly personally, you know. <laughs> and And it may mean that you know I'm the last bastard wearing a mask, you know what I mean, but at least I'd rather be wearing a mask than have uh, something strapped to my face in an ICU unit, even if the um, the the vaccine means that I won't die from it. But of course, people are dying from it, you know. And you can only assume that those people who are dying from it, what well, we know, I mean, we don't need to assume anything. We've got the the evidence that tells us, that some people who die from it have had the vaccines. And anyway, we're going to look at the vaccines, we're going to look at the cases in a moment, but first, this. So in my little blip of uh, Devon where I live, um, it has been a terrible seven uh, days. It has been the highest rate here um, for I can't remember the last time it was it was this high. Even in the you know the crazy days of January and February, I can't remember of it being locally this high. And within my local authority, kind of local care authority which uh, can, includes a kind of quite a you know kind of medium-sized market town kind of more small more small to medium-sized market town but quite a lot of rural area uh, again um, it has gone up 200 percent in fact 207 percent in the last seven days so it is shooting up locally is basically what I'm saying now luckily, deaths and even people admitted to the local hospital have been, uh, well there haven't been any for a long long time which is which is obviously outstanding yeah and um, we have got in the last seven days 197 um, confirmed positive cases of COVID-19 in this local authority and then if you come out to the whole of the UK well, we're just creeping up locally. Um, so just before I leave the local um, thing, if we take a look at the doses, we've now got 70% of second doses and 87.2% of first doses. So that 70 is good because um, nationally, uh, that's obviously people above 18, yeah? 70% of the people above 18. Nationally, it's 63.8%. So we're quite higher than the, than the national um, number for second doses. So where are we at for the UK the last seven days? Well, cases have gone up by two-thirds, 66%. Um, the last seven days have been uh, 173,000 cases. We're now looking at 25,000 cases a day. And so we're thinking based on the idea that it doubles every nine days. We're thinking that by not we're thinking Christina Pagel and her um, data person, I uh, have worked this out, you know, a hundred thousand per per day on the seven day average by, um, by July the 19th, somewhere between 80 and a hundred thousand. So deaths within 28 days. We are now, like, you know, getting to the stage where we're getting more confident to say that the link between cases and deaths has been broken. We can't totally say that with confidence, but in the last seven days, deaths have actually fallen by 1.6%. So they've only fallen by two within that last seven days. But, you know, you could say they're not rising, which they're not rising, they're falling, you know. So that's outstanding news. You know, that is fantastic news. And obviously, I'd rather be, you know, seriously ill than dead. (laughs) Um, Having said that, patients admitted to hospital. Now, we do know that patients admitted to hospital doesn't necessarily mean that those people... You know, they do need to be hospitalized, but they don't necessarily go into ICU. They're not necessarily in hospital for a long time. Um, Although they may have long COVID, you know, which is in itself obviously a massive, you know, life changing event for many, for millions of people, you know, millions. Um, It still is, you know, not being in ICU. Do you know what I mean? Uh, But patients admitted has gone up quite starkly 25%, 24.2% in the last seven days, so we're looking at 1,953 people in hospital um, as of a couple of days ago. So, you know, where are we at? Well, we're at a place where um, the vaccinations are sluggish and the idea that they have, um, you know, kind of like done everything, they like pulled out all the stops to get enough people vaccinated twice before um, July the 19th. I mean, it's just, you know, it's that's not correct. It's just the, the seven-day average is flatlining, you know, not to be dramatic about it, but it's it hasn't gone up. Um, and it's actually was declining for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks. And now it's flatlining. And that needs to be going up steeply. Yep. Yeah? Because cases are going up steeply. And this Delta variant has got a... uh, People think they're trying to work out exactly what the R value is for the Delta variant, how much they... Like if one person gets it, how many people do they give it to? Some people think eight people are going to get it from one person having it, yep. One um, dose of the vaccine protects you to a certain extent. Two doses protect you to a, a higher extent. But, you know it's still it's a runaway train basically it's a runaway train a runaway train and it's only kind of political decisions that they've made and you know you can't in a way with the stupid ridiculous British public you can kind of see why you know because you know most people just want to watch the football get drunk with their mates and you know fucking go round to each other's houses and you know get on with life go to the cinema I was like you know somebody that I follow on Twitter who's like a very kind of like normal person was saying that they were seeing hairspray in the cinema in the cinema in the theatre and you know I love the idea of seeing hairspray but I'm not quite there yet you know what I mean going to the theatre Jesus Um, so you know it is the time now, and I know that I'm always saying this, but I've got new masks, I've got brilliant new masks, um, and I'm looking forward to wearing the mask at work. And I do know that I'm in a kind of, you know, job that is probably a lot more kind of online and frontline than a lot of other people, probably most people listening to this. You know, as, you, as I've said in the past, there's probably, you know, interactions with about 80 to 100 people every single day. And there might be quick interactions, but they're not all quick. And in the vast majority of those interactions, I can't social differ- distance, just because of the nature of my job. yeah. So that's why I, why I wear a good mask. That's why I, why I'm. Blah, 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 blah. That's why I'm always going on about ventilation and all the rest of it. yeah? Because I do feel like, you know, I've got three weeks left until the job until the um, school's finish, and I do feel like it's a bit of a kind of race to the other side. You know. Um, I'm very happy in the summer holidays to be on Dartmoor and be at the beach. You're not going to get bloody COVID-19 on Dartmoor or on the beach if you've got your wits about you, yeah? But if you're not socially distancing from people where, like from children, basically, where the kind of policy is, a herd immunity policy, as much as they deny it, they've denied many other things, including, or did you read about the thing, the big bloody scoop that we had ages ago? Saucy Johnson saying... Um, some uh, Shakespeare uh, academic saying that he was approached by Sausage Johnson saying, can you be on on hold, like on standby in case I have some time in my diary and I can work with you, ask you questions about, about um, <laughs> Shakespeare for this book, The Riddle of Genius. The Riddle of Genius. a uh, Shakespeare book, much um Vaulted, much pole vaulted Shakespeare book, much delayed Shakespeare book that we were talking about uh, ages ago, wasn't it, on the podcast? Yeah. Anyway, uh, it's a bit of a mess. You've got to take care of yourself, you know, t- personal responsibility. I mean, th- that's their line now. You know, it's going to be all about personal responsibility. But as somebody on Twitter said, that's like saying drivers should be personally responsible for their safety. And we're going to... Um, you know, take down the traffic lights. We're going to take the markings off the roads. We're going to let you drive at any speed, and we're going to cut the um, the seat belts out of your car. And those are the conditions that you then are told drive safely. You know, so take care of yourselves. Don't try not to get COVID nineteen. But we're going to take away your masks. We're going to take away social distancing, and we're going to open everything up. So that's nice, isn't it? Episode 230. Thanks for listening. Have a great weekend if it is the weekend. And we're now going to think of the Kanje pheasant. I think it's pronounced Kanje, also known as the Hootsin. I think it's pronounced Hootsin. Beautiful, large bird of South America. And it's got an incredible crown. You could call it a corona on its head. With a lovely blue face. So oh, beautiful. And it looks quite tasty, actually, yeah. Chuck it on the Barbie, you bastard. Right, you bastard. See you later. (laughs) Oh, we got paranormal blip. Oh, wow, isn't it? Beautiful. Bit of a roundup this week. Bit of a roundup. But some very interesting um, and entertaining content Um, forthwith. Right. Walk between the raindrops. One. Oh, hold on. One, two, three. Walk between the raindrops. See you later. That music can only mean that this is Paranormal Blip. And we are going to take a look at uh, what life has been like in the UFO community in the week after the... Um, thingy dropped. The thingy, the UAP um, task Force report dropped. So essentially we have been um, inundated with quite long form uh, television events. So TMZ did a an hour-long special on Fox in the United States. Fox is obviously a you know massive channel. In the United States so I don't know how many people watched it but you know huge uh, viewership I imagine and that was pretty good it was kind of you know tabloidy and uh, quite excessive and quite in your face but it covered all of the um, points you know all the big points just to get people up to speed um, so Lou Alexander was there, Chris Mellon was there, um, George Knapp was there, uh, Jeremy Corbell was there and if you can track it down it's certainly worth you know watching or listening to it's about an hour long uh also that's an hour with adverts so about i don't know 45 minutes or whatever without adverts also it's on youtube i mean i've seen it you know i don't watch fox news i'm not in the united states so it's very easy to find it now also on this episode i am linking to the most uh, the the better one if you like the better one which was uh, it's this thing called UFO Declassified Live, which was on uh, Discovery Channel in the United States. It was a three-hour live special, and it covered a lot of territory. It was really interesting, well put together. Of course, there is a kind of pace to it, and all, like a kind of sensationalism to it, if you like, in the way that it is presented. But I can forgive that because, you know, it's a fucking television show about UFOs do you know what I mean so of course they're going to have to think well if we're going to do a three-hour live show it has to have a kind of pace to it it did remind me slightly of this time with um, Alan Partridge (laughs) especially when one of the presenters has a kind of you know fucks up the uh, interactive boards just like that dude does on on this time with Alan Partridge which is quite entertaining and you know, slightly, I mean I also love all that, you know, like you know me, of course I love the seams don't I, yeah? So I love it like it's slightly clunky and stuff but within it it actually covers an awful lot of ground like stuff that um, the mainstream media don't cover so for instance, 60 Minutes didn't mention the um the the fact now that we know, like there's enough evidence. Like bloody what's his name, Harry Reid has said that there there is a um, threat to uh, U.S. and kind of global um, uh, nuclear facilities, um, and U.A.P.s have got the ability to turn on and off um, missiles in their fucking um, missile dens. And uh, so they talk about that, like briefly, but they do talk about it, you know, in the um, in the Discovery Channel show. And they talk about a whole bunch of different things. Corbell is there, Knapp is there, um, Nick Pope, who used to work for the MOD in the 90s, is there, and he's kind of like he's he's teamed up with Stephen Greenstreet, I think that's his name, in the, on the New York Post. And they've got a very good show together called the Basement. Uh, what's it called? The Basement. Um, Something? The Basement Office, that's what it's called. And Nick Pope is is there talking about it. And they also had Jim simivan And it's amazing to see Jim Simovan, Sim Jim Simovan. Jim Simivan, I should say. He doesn't really make many um, appearances on television. He was looking at Skinwalker Ranch and he was involved in the Bledsoe... Um, case, which I'll go on to talk about in a minute. And he was involved in the To The Stars Academy with Tom DeLonge. If you don't know what the fuck I'm talking about, then if you're interested in it, then I can't link to everything. Just type in to Google To The Stars Academy, Tom DeLonge. And, you know, at some point I might get round to explaining all of these things. But, you know, you do your own bloody work if you want to. Yeah. But I am linking to the... Uh, YouTube version somebody's put on YouTube the um, whole three hours of uh, UFO Declassified Live but of course without the adverts it comes in at 2 hours 10 so that's not bad and it's really worth watching I think it's actually up there it's not as good as the phenomenon the um, James Fox film which I still think is the, the high water mark for a kind of entry level explanation of all of this stuff like how UAPs are discussed and, you know, how it's now being taken seriously, essentially by kind of everyone, you know. Um, the phenomenon is the one thing to kind of get into if you don't have a lot of time to kind of research it deeply, you know, um, as well as listen to me, obviously. But it, but Declass- UFOs Declassified Live is quite up there. And the guy that put it up, I don't know who he is, but he's got just some kind of alien channel in on um, youtube he also has put up a channel 7 documentary uh, in australia a guy called ross Coulthard did a really really good job of putting together a documentary which goes on for just about an hour and 10 minutes i think and it went out a couple of um weeks ago on channel 7 and this dude on the channel that I'm linking UFOs Declassified Live to, if that makes sense, and in the uh, episode notes, you can also find this other Channel 7 broadcast by Ross Coulthard. And Ross Coulthard, um, like unbelievably, has also called his show The Phenomenon, which doesn't bloody help clarify things, you know. I mean, I'm not sure why they called it that, knowing that there's this, this massive film that has just been released by the same name, but anyway, never mind. One's a you know, television documentary on Australian TV, the other one's a film documentary by James Fox, so it's not that bloody difficult to get your head around. Anyway, so there's lots of content there. And essentially it comes down to and I wondered whether this would happen, because we were thinking that it wasn't gonna be much Uh, in the way of like you know kind of solid evidence and now we need to remember the three streams that I was talking about yesterday we've got public information this is coming from the Pentagon from the US government yeah public information then we've got classified information and then we've got the top-secret stuff that even the you know Marco Rubio or whatever is never going to find out about yeah and you know other kind of senators that may be kind of high up in the Senate because they sit on, you know, they're they're the chair of various, um, you know, committees and that kind of stuff. But the top secret stuff, you know, only a handful of people are going to know that. Not literally a handful, I mean, probably, you know, thousands, but they're all sworn to secrecy. And only on your deathbed do you kind of spill the beans. Now, speaking of spilling your beans on your deathbed, uh, Ross Coulthard did a fascinating interview with one of the best dudes that's in this space, this space, this is Project Unity I'm talking about, Project Unity, and it's this guy called Jay and he's in, um, in Britain, and he's only like in his 20s this guy, I don't know what his surname is, but I think he might be in the um, Nottingham area maybe, he mentioned it on a on a podcast at some point. Anyway, um, what a YouTube. This is all YouTubers, these guys. You know, fucking YouTubers. The fucking young YouTuber. Uh -uh. Anyway, he's really, really good. And he did this interview with Ross Coulthard. And it it was such a great. I mean, Ross Coulthard, he is a guy that likes to speak, yeah? And he spoke. And he gave away this juicy bit of information. I mean, you know, obviously, we've got to caveat this. Um, But Ross Coulthard is an investigative journalist who's been working, you know, at the top of Australian media. (laughs) um, That's a faint praise, isn't it? (laughs) At the top of Australian media. Um, For what that's worth. Uh, But, you know, like the Sydney Morning Herald, no less. (laughs) The Brisbane Guts. Oh, that's a good read. Guts with a Z. No, um, yeah, but you know, on television and as a print journalist, Coulthard's seen it all, man. And because he was he's been working on US intelligence a lot, he's got his own independent, um, you know, kind of uh, sources in US intelligence. And so, there's this guy called what's his name, Kobitz, is it Kobitz? Yeah, Nat Kobitz. The former director of the U.S. Navy Science and Technology Department Division. Uh, Kobitz died recently of uh, kind of horrible cancer and and you know as we've kind of spoken about in the past sometimes this happens where he thought well I'm dying, fuck it. So he told um, Coltard some things that ordinarily you know you wouldn't kind of do if you were going to stay alive but he knew that he was dying so he spilled the beans as it were and he said that there's a reverse engineering program um, happening working on um, craft retrieved craft and trying to uh, reverse engineer these craft but not just one but multiple craft and bodies so this is coming from this guy called Nat Kovitz, who unfortunately is dead now but, you know, if, if you're the director of the U.S. Navy Science and Technology Department, then you're going to know that, you know, that you are one of the people that then is read into, as um, Coulthard says, read into these programmes. Yeah. So that's really interesting, and I really like Project Unity, and I love, like Jay and his approach to interviewing and his whole kind of, you know, he's a good guy. So I'm going to link that Coulthard interview as well so you've got two links in the description uh one is the old um you know UFO uh, declassified live and the headline uh, and and that is really kind of works as they kind of you know get up to speed type thing I imagine if you listen to this you probably are up to speed but if you kind of want to know things that I don't cover like you know um, or if you want to kind of send it to someone that you're trying to convince, you know, there's something in this, which I'm not particularly interested in doing. But, you know, obviously it would be brilliant if everybody kind of, you know, fucking woke up, pal. Fucking wake up, man. But um, the interesting thing coming out of that is Jim Simovan saying that he thinks that there's some kind of other, like a non-human entity behind this... Uh, the, the behind these UAPs. Now the UAP uh, that declassified show and the TMZ show did have a kind of UAP heavy vibe to it, um, obviously because it was kind of in response to the UAP um, you know report, yeah. And Stephen Greenstreet, who I really like, Stephen Greenstreet from the basement office, he recently has been kind of saying, you know, we can't get too down the path of you know everybody agreeing that it's ultra-terrestrials or you know um, extraterrestrials or you know some other kind of you know people from the future visiting us or some kind of extraordinary um, conclusion to this. Yep, yeah? an extraordinary reason for all of these things because uh, we don't have the evidence for that and it it may be and he actually said himself i actually am inclined to kind of believe that that is the the like where this leads because you know that that's is a kind of obvious um conclusion that you can that you can draw from the tic tac like take for instance the information we know about the tic tac um event yeah it's quite difficult to think that that, well, we know that that's not a drone because drones, like, it's physically impossible to make a drone that does what the tic tac does. We also know that it can't be inhabited by humans because it's physically impossible for humans to, like, survive. Like, you, you, you can't move at Mach 60 and survive. Like, you can't move at anywhere near that uh, speed. And, and survive. In fact the material itself would be ripped up, you know, like way below Mac60. A bloody Mac20 would be return of the Mac. It would be blown, it would be just kind of ripped to shreds, yeah? So there's something going on with the Tic Tac which is genuinely baffling and genuinely mysterious and genuinely unknown, yeah? And so to then think, well if it's not all of these things within our kind of field of understanding, that it must be something that we don't understand yet, okay? And maybe it is extraterrestrial, or ultra-terrestrial, or whatever else, yep. And Green Street says, well, there might be something in that. But he also says, we can't get to a stage as a kind of, you know, UFO community or whatever, to, to just all agree that it's that, because we're then going to kind of leave a whole bunch of people behind. So it makes sense for things like... And so he was um, explicitly complaining about um, Jim Simivan saying, concluding at the end of the night, it was this, you know, like you can imagine what it was like, this kind of live TV show, three hours long. At the end of it, they say, well, we've heard all the evidence. Let's go around the room and see what everyone thinks. And Jim Simivan, this like, ex-CIA dude, who has a history of investigating the paranormal on live television says yeah it's a non-human entity do you know what i mean like it's, what the hell <laughs> so and you know you would kind of imagine that from a kind of cynical um point of view where people understand that you know most fucking idiots just think people are nuts for talking about UFOs. That you're, gonna, you're gonna put a lot of people off by saying that, Jim, yeah? And I think that was Stephen Greensford Street's point. Uh, having said that, you know, let's go woo-woo. Ryan Bledstow, Jim Simavan knows Ryan Bledstow and knows the Chris Bledstow story. It's a fascinating story. Chris Bledstow, right? Bledstow said so is the name of Ryan Bledstow's new podcast. And it is, what a joy, man. It is such a joy. So in, let me see if I can uh, haiku this. I can't haiku it, but let's see how this goes. So Chris Bledstow um, had a a, a kind of illness, this terrible illness that caused him a lot of pain. I don't actually know what it is, which is, oh, it was a um, stomach uh, concern. It's kind of stomach, IBS, really bad IBS and kind of he was in considerable pain. His successful business was going down the pan because he was not able to work because he was sick a lot of the time and over the kind of years uh, leading up to this extraordinary experience he had he had lost a lot of money and lost a lot of his health and um, he was feeling very depressed, incredibly depressed and then one day, he was, uh, he just finished, he was a house builder by trade. So him and his gang of um, house builders had just finished a project and they were celebrating by fishing um, at a local forest near where they lived in North Carolina. Now, North Carolina is the Bible Belt, yep. To believe in UAPs or UFOs or anything to do with the paranormal is basically to be um, in hock with the devil. It sounds extraordinary to us, you know, Europeans that people think like that, but people do think like that, like that. And in the Bible Belt, people still think like that in their millions, okay? So just, we've got to kind of get, factor that into the story. Um, so he walks, so he's not particularly interested in fishing. He walks off. He is walking through a forest. He hears behind him uh, footsteps. He thinks it's a deer or whatever. He's not particularly um, bothered by that. Uh, But then when he stops, the footsteps stop. And then he starts to get slightly kind of like weirded out by it. And then he sees two orbs in the sky. And the orbs are very close to him. And then I think there might be three orbs in total. And one of them is, um, I think, bigger than the others. And then he walks back um, to the... Uh, to, to his friends at the, um, at the, uh, the fireplace because they made a fire and surprisingly the fire is out and all his friends like really panicked his son who's with him who's 17 years old his name is also Chris his son is not there and the fire is out and he's saying like they're, they're saying where have you been where have you been what's going on he said what are you talking about I've just been a couple of minutes but you wouldn't believe what I've seen I saw these orbs. They said, you haven't been a couple of minutes. You've been gone for four hours. And so he says, well, where's Chris? Where's my son? And they said, Chris went to find you, like, hours ago. We don't know where he is. We've been here. First of all, we went out looking for you. We couldn't find you. Then Chris went to look for you. Now we can't find him. And he starts to get really panicky, thinking, what the fuck is going on here, you know? He goes out into the forest. He finds Chris, and Chris is kind of like says, "Oh my God, Dad! He's like totally, um, like broken down. Like something has happened to this to this 17-year-old." And he says, "Dad, Dad, Dad! Why did you leave me? Why did you abandon me?" It turns out that Chris says, the younger Chris, the son, says, that um, this thing landed, these two beings came out, and they were playing around. Um, kind of like not really noticing him, but he was stuck to the spot, he couldn't move at all. And for two hours, he saw these two small childlike beings uh, just kind of like exploring the kind of area around him. Um, and then I'm quite, can't quite remember exactly how that ended that episode, but essentially, he was found by his dad, he was totally um, like terrified. His dad takes him back to the camp, all of the dudes, so there's three other, so there's five people in total, three of the workers who are the kind of house builders, Chris Jr. and Chris Sr. And then one of the house worker dudes says, um, like the builders, look up, looks up at the sky says, Oh my God, look at that. And there's these stars that are kind of flying around, like in a weird way. One of them zooms down, goes opposite to where they are on the other bank of the river, and um uh i can't remember (laughs) that's a good bit to forget isn't it The, the unforgettable bit anyway i can't remember but you can look it up anyway all this crazy stuff happens right to cut a long story short this crazy stuff happens he goes chris goes back nobody believes him right he thinks my god this is incredible the main impact for his life immediately is that his uh stomach problems that he's had for years that have like totally like decapacitated him easy for me to say um for years and like meant that he couldn't work and has lost loads of money and he had to you know he lost the business over it and all the rest of it um that went that night that went and he because of this uh, essentially kind of healing experience that he had he feels like those uh, beings were angels and this is the word he uses to describe them angels he doesn't say aliens he says angels and because of that the ufo community who are very happy to say aliens aliens here and like say oh well they're coming from this universe or this galaxy system or whatever and they're you know although like the most kind of far out things that where there's no evidence for any of that stuff obviously it's like total speculation Um, They're not interested in, um, you know, saying to somebody who's actually had an experience... uh, Well, actually, you might be onto something here. So if you want to call them angels, then who am I to say they're not angels? Because you're the one who was healed by the damn things, you know what I mean? So, you know, I mean, if I met some poxy three-foot dude with red eyes, and um, my heart condition, like, sealed up, I think I'd call them angels as well, you know, angels of Harlem. So anyway, there's the Chris Bledstow. Now, Jim Simmervan is all over the Chris Bledstow thing. And um, it's really interesting to see Jim on that show. Anyway, God, that was a bloody long one, wasn't it? Yeah, beautiful. So all in all, quite an interesting uh, week. And I'm not that surprised. And I thought it might happen that if it just kind of, you know, comes out with a few little nuggets, it might be that the guys that know the good stuff, like Jim Simovan and, you know, um, Lou Elizondo, might actually start to say, act, look, now we've got to really talk about the, like, what is actually happening, okay? Because we're not gonna like spend another five years talking about the, is the tic-tac, uh, you know, Russian or whatever. Because that's not the case. Something bigger is happening, so let's just cut to the chase. And it's very interesting because um, Ryan Bledstow, Chris Bledstow's son, who's essentially a kind of expert in um, religious studies and philosophy, has started this brilliant podcast. And, um, you know, Jim Simmervern is saying it's like non-human, and non-human entities are behind all this. So there is like a kind of shift towards the woo-woo. And I understand why Stephen Greenstreet isn't totally kind of content with that or, or um, you know, kind of feels like it's going to kind of pass a lot of people to buy. But I also can understand why it's happening, because if you do have, like, knowledge of secret knowledge, you know, of, um, of mad stuff happening, then you don't want to wait, like, you know, until the end of your life, basically. There's some people who just don't want to wait until the end of their life before they spill the beans. Anyway, thanks for listening. See you later.